Welcome back to Laundromat Insights. I'm your host, Randy Radke. I feel like just the intro of today's guest could take the full episode time. He's an author. He's a business owner. He's a coach. He's a mentor. He's a podcaster. I'm not sure he ever sleeps, so maybe that should be the first question we ask. You might know him best as the Laundromat Millionaire. Welcome to the show, Dave Manns. Hey, thanks for having me, Randy. I uh, appreciate the invitation. It means a lot to me. We are super excited. This has been a long time coming. I know I've had it. <laughs> actually even had a few people say, when are you going to get them on? We made it happen. We continue to elevate this this program mm. with superstar, rock star guests like yourself. <laughs> awesome. So jumping in, your story just flat out connects with so many people of varying backgrounds. Are you at all just blown away at how people receive you and how your story just resonates with somebody? Yes. The short answer is yes. In a good way and a bad way, both ways. <laughs> because uh, people don't care for the name Laundromat Millionaire. They make they make assumptions there, which I completely understand and I don't take any offense to. You know, they assume I'm kind of braggy and stuff like that. Uh, and then when they get to know me, they they find out there's another message and another side to it. But yeah, I mean, I've always just seen myself as just a guy. Like, I'm nobody. I'm nobody special. I grew up very poor in Flint, Michigan as a young kid, barely graduated high school. I've never went to college, but I always dreamed of owning my own business. And I've always had a big heart. And I guess those two things have collided. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's probably a really simplistic approach to it. But yeah, the answer is I, I am just floored at uh, where I am today and how I got here. And it's uh, it's a little mind-numbing at times, but I'm a big believer that, that God puts me in this position for a reason, and I, uh, I will do my best to be a good servant. So talk a little bit about growing up in Flint Town and how that set mm -hmm. the stage for where we're at right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you know, you mentioned my book, Laundromat Millionaire, The Grit to Elevate an Industry. I grew up very poor in Flint, Michigan to a uh, pretty poor family in general, but a lot of really good people with good hearts and people that have, for the most part, kind of a stubborn tenacity to us is kind of my roots, if you will. It's about all we had going for us. And I always kind of knew that about myself. And I, you know, for the first 20 years of my life, maybe, I always saw like my upbringing and my poor memory. You know, I've never been great at memorization, which is why I wasn't really great at school. And, you know, some people, when you're a kid, some people lead you to believe that that means you're not smart if you're not good at school, which of course is not true. But that's kind of where I grew up. So I, I was born and it was ingrained into me that I just kind of wasn't good enough. That gave me a pretty humble floor. <laughs> and, but I always, I always knew in my heart of hearts, even when no one else on the, on the earth believed me, I always knew that whatever I set my mind to, there was nothing going to stop me. Nothing. And it, it just, I don't, I, I can't really even put my finger on what it is other than maybe just that stubbornness again, that grit. I knew that was my secret sauce. And I knew that when I decided, I mean, I wasn't the easiest kid to raise. I'll, be, I'll fully admit it because I have my own ideas. And uh, I, you know, I wasn't obstinate or wasn't disrespectful, uh, but I, I didn't even believe my parents. I mean, if they told me I couldn't do something or shouldn't do something, I didn't believe them any more than I believed anyone else in the world. I had this humble confidence is what I describe it as that, uh, that I could do anything that I decided to do because I had that grit inside of me. And that's kind of where that like tagline from the book came from the grit to elevate an industry is, you know, when I got into the industry, 
I realized there was a lot of opportunity here, but I, I, I really struggled for years to kind of find my way and to find what that really looked like on a, on a scalable level. And people find this very interesting, but I can't even tell you how much money I've spent that, that back then I didn't have traveling and networking. And sometimes it's going to formal events like clean show and conferences and things like that. Um, but, but more often than not, it was uh, just meeting someone that was a fellow laundromat owner that lived three hours away on maybe the CLA forum or something like that. And being like, Hey, if I, if I drive to you, like if I spend three hours driving to you, would you give me a couple hours of your time? Just let me kind of pick your brain and see your laundromat. And I mean, I have done that in the hundreds of times at this point, I've flown all over the country on my own dime, both before I had a book or a podcast or anyone knew or cared who I was, uh, just to try to dig dig, dig. And I've always seen myself as I call it mining for golden nuggets. And the way I've approached that is pretty simple, really. I've just always been looking for information. And in 2009, when I got into the industry, information about how to be successful with laundromats was pretty scarce. I think we're better now than we were then, but I think it's still pretty scarce, which is kind of where the whole dream of First, my journey and telling my story and, and the book and the podcast and all these things. And now it's now it's a lot more about coaching and sharing um, with others how I learned what I did. But I'm also very passionate about teaching people how I got to where I am and how I learned what I learned. And the point is that all comes full circle back to that grit that that I was either born with or it was ingrained into me or maybe some of both. And that's a that's a pretty consistent recipe for success, whether you look at it in the business world or or athletics, professional sport, where you have a situation that you're not going to be outworked. You're going to mm-hmm. be spending that extra time studying film, doing all that research, doing the legwork. I, the idea that there may be people out there faster, smarter, all that, but no one's going to outwork you. And that's I think right. that tends to be a key component for folks like yourself who are really successful. Yeah. And that's, and that's a big part of my story that I want to share with people, whether we call it inspiration or education or whatever is I, I tell every person that'll listen and all the people that won't listen to, um, I tell them all the same thing. Like no one can stop you. I'm not sure why we think there's a ceiling because that's kind of a, probably had a couple epiphanies in my business journey, let's call it. And probably three or four times along my business journey, I believed that there was a ceiling, whether it was to what I could earn or what I could accomplish or whatever those things were. And every time I've just absolutely destroyed that ceiling. And probably the third or fourth time that I did that, my wife, who's much smarter than me, Carla, uh, she hosts the podcast with me. And she said, when are you going to figure out there is no ceiling for you? (laughs) And I was just like, huh. Like, and so my point is like, I, I, I don't know any other way to share what I know, how I know, and what I want people to understand and believe than to just share my version of that, like my story. A lot of times that's misunderstood by Dave just sits around talking about himself and calling himself a millionaire, which is incredibly arrogant, right? Like, let's just call a spade a spade. And, and, and I'm not the best communicator. I'll fully admit that. But what I want people to understand about me and my heart is like, that's my version of teaching. And I'm also trying to passionately get better at sharing my messaging and my story. And I'd love to talk less about me and more about them. But usually it's the conversation starts with where I was, where I've been, how I got to where I am, the life lessons along the way, the 
the hardships along the way, and how those life lessons can help you become a laundromat millionaire. Because that's what people misunderstand about the brand is, yes, the book is my story. I call it a teaching memoir. Um, And I wrote it in a context that, you know, I always say like a memoir is, for lack of a better term, a story, right? Right. Um, Story about my life. And the teaching aspect to it is I, I rewrote my book seven times. A lot of people don't know that. I rewrote my book seven times in its entirety. Same story, just different version of it every time. And the final version that that is out now um, with my publisher is very simple. It's a teaching memoir. So I wrote it in the context that I could tell my story, but write it in a context that it wasn't just a, huh, that's an interesting story. But it was written in a way that would teach others how they could accomplish their version of being a laundromat millionaire. Because that's really what the laundromat millionaire brand is all about. That's what me and my wife, Carla, are all about. We're much more interested in teaching, showing, and talking to the rest of the industry how we did what we did in flipping the script and saying, and there's no reason you can't be a laundromat millionaire too. Full disclosure, like, I mean, when we started doing this, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. Um, I mean, we knew our journey and my story and all these different things, but I didn't have a clue how to write a book. It took me five years. Um, never dreamed in a million years I'd sign a book deal with a publishing company out of New York. And I mean, I, I, we didn't know how to launch a podcast. We just hooked up our laptops and clicked go. I mean, like, that's, that's you know, all I mean, it's, start. Yeah. right. I mean, but, but that's, but I think that's the thing about like grit that I try to portray to other people that I want them to understand about themselves is that's enough. That's all you need to go. Now, there's a whole bunch more after that, a whole bunch more work and investment and sacrifice and delay gratification and all the things that come into that. It's it's not just wake up in the morning and decide I have grit, but that's all you need to get started and it's all you need to have success because that's that, like that's your foundation. That should be your foundation. And the final kind of synopsis of this whole little spiel, Randy, is pretty simple. When you have that, and you decide you're going to do something, nobody can stop you. Like I, I, once again, I understand it comes across as arrogant, but I say all the time and twice on Sunday, like, I'd love to have anyone build a laundromat across the street from me. (laughs) I I welcome it. And I, and I, I mean, it makes me better. Like, okay, let's go. Like you, you better be on the same level of passion and enthusiasm. You might be smarter. You might be better capitalized. You might be a whole lot of things, but you won't outwork me. And the beauty is now I'm to the point in, you know, we're recording this in 2022. Now I'm to the point where I built a team of mini Dave Menzes, of people that believe in my vision. Uh, we have almost 40 employees in our organization now. We have a general manager that runs our whole multi-million dollar operation, two assistant GMs, four store managers six delivery drivers that do pickup and delivery. We have a third shift processing crew that processes all of our laundry from pickup and delivery that we pick up during the day. And then we obviously have four self-serve laundromats too. And they run the entire organization, but everybody that works for us, the foundation starts the same. Do you care about others? Do you have what I call the heart of a servant? Do you have that grit? Are you willing to do what it takes to serve others even if it's maybe not in your best interest. So my and business then, doesn't open. My business doesn't open with the idea that I want to make money. And if I'm coming at it from that angle, I'm doing it wrong. 
Yep, that's exactly right. And here's the here's the flip to that, Randy, is this is the coolest part. If people don't hear anything in this interview, I really hope they'll hear this, is when you genuinely, because you cannot fake that, right? But when you genuinely feel that, believe that, and see that as your obligation or your life's work as an entrepreneur and a business owner, like you are so daggone rare, good luck competing with you. And that's why I say, good luck competing with me. And the beauty of the whole thing is when you approach business that way from a heart of a servant, you believe that you, your business is not here to serve you, the owner, but yet your business is here to serve the community. When you, you foundationally believe that, you know what happens? You make so much money, it's ridiculous. And you can sleep really, really good at night. I sleep really good at night knowing that every dollar I've ever earned in my life has been in servitude to someone. I've never earned a dollar at someone else's expense. Do you feel like you started out with that mindset or did that mindset kind of massetize through your research and understanding of business? Yeah, great question. And that's a that's a big answer. So let me try to answer that for you if I could. <laughs> the, the truth is that um, I was raised in a Christian family. And part of my Christian faith is that we are raised, God puts us here on earth to serve each other. So we are not selfish, we are selfless. Um, am I perfect? Absolutely not. I'm an incredibly flawed person, but that's how I was raised. So that's my foundation, if that makes sense. Whether I believed it at different points in my life and adulthood, you know, at times I was very selfish. Full disclosure, when I got into business for myself, the first priority was not to bankrupt my family. Like my only focus was to make money. But I still, that foundation was still there, meaning I wanted to make money. I wanted to figure out how to do it really well. And I wanted to make sure, because I, when I bought my first laundromat in 2009, I mean, I had a three-week-old baby at home. My wife was on maternity leave. She was a school teacher. We had a two-year-old toddler and a 12-year-old daughter um, at home. So I had a young family and I was in my early 30s. And we had a net worth of less than $50,000. If we sold everything, our house and everything, that was how much money, what we were worth. And so when you go borrow money to buy a dumpy laundromat that loses money every month, like you better get on it. And so my focus was to make money, but I wasn't willing to do it at any cost. Okay. And so I dug into what I call pure capitalism. Entrepreneurship at its core is about servitude. And when I went down that path, what I found was the best way to make money, the best way to be uncompetable is to go back to my core. One of the things I was taught in my faith, which is I'm here to serve others. And what I figured out very quickly is if I only work, worry about that and I just obsessively focus on serving others, the money will just come flowing in. And it did in a very short period of time. And once that happened, then I was just addicted. I mean, just like a crack right. addict, completely yep. and utterly addicted, still am to this day. Because the more I serve people, the better I serve people, the better I sleep at night, the more fulfilled I am, and the more money I make. Like, what more does someone like Dave Menz want? My wife has quit her career as a school teacher for 17 years that she was very passionate about her career. She left to join me in this new laundromat millionaire business full time. There was a time where she thought I was nuts and she would tell anybody they'd listen for a solid 10 years. Yeah, that's Dave's thing. I mean, I'm a supportive wife. I'll, I'll support him in any way I can. I love him, but this is his baby, not mine. Well, now it's our baby because she, she caught that bug. And the reason is similar but different. She's an academia. She was valedictorian in high school, valedictorian in college, valedictorian in her 
master's program. I mean, she's never had a B in her life. She's just that type of very, very different than me. Uh, but she has that heart of a servant. That's that's one thing we have in common. And she also is a, is a formally classically trained educator. And so she comes into, I have all the knowledge about the industry specifically, but she's actually the teacher. She's the educator. And when, once again, when those two paths intersected, she and I just found ourselves in the middle of something that we just absolutely love doing, are incredibly passionate about. And we're, I mean, we're kind of really good at it as a team. We're still figuring out a lot of the, a lot of the nuts and bolts of, you know, how to sell things. And, <laughs> you know, it is a business. I mean, we've, we've invested probably $400,000 um, in this laundromat millionaire thing with no guarantee of ever making any money from it and certainly haven't yet. But, but we hope that this is going to uh, turn into something a lot bigger than it is right now and be able to impact a whole lot of people and an entire industry. And more importantly, the communities that that industry serves. And when you see that as your calling and you can still run your laundromats, which I'm also incredibly passionate about. I mean, we still run our laundromats, but my team is just bulletproof. They don't need me. Now, it wasn't always that way. It's only been that way in the last three or four years, which has freed me up to chase this new dream, sure. which is Laundromat Millionaire. Okay. So uh, forgive me. I know you've answered this question probably about a million times, but it's going to be a million and one now. Oh, for no Did problem. you really buy your first laundromat off a of Craigslist? <laughs> I sure did. I sure did. That's a that's a true story. That is not and, part uh, of the mystique and myth. This nope. is a one hundred percent true. This is one hundred percent true. Yeah. See what I think it's a combination of if, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but when 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 I go back and I think at least my reality of what the laundromat industry was in two thousand nine. So I wasn't even really in the social media world at that time or anything okay. like that. I mean, I wasn't a very, I was a lineman for the local telephone company. I mean, I was the guy that climbed the telephone poles and fixed the phone lines. So I could barely use a cell phone and uh, I just wasn't very technological savvy. And so when I got into the industry, I wasn't, I just wasn't a very sophisticated guy. I'll just say it. Right. And so I was just like, I don't know. How do you figure out businesses for sale? Like I didn't have a whole lot of money. We had saved up some, but I was really keeping that for quote unquote to buy a business. And so, I mean, I let, I know this sounds ridiculous, Brandy, but I mean, I didn't know about business brokers. I didn't know that was like a thing. And let's be honest, when it comes to laundromats for sale, one of the hardest things to do, whether you're a sophisticated business owner or not, is find the ones that are available and properly value them. Right. Yep. Like, I mean, I tell people, people talk to me every day in my coaching business. I tell them all the same thing. Look, you need to accept our industry for what it is. It's incredibly antiquated, old school mom and pop. It's finding a laundromat that and properly valuing it. If, if you want to spreadsheet this out and you, you have this analytical engineering data oriented mind, you're going to really be frustrated by this industry. <laughs> <laughs> because this is much more of an art than a science. Right. Yeah. But once you learn that art, it just clicks and it just op literally opens up the promised land for you. And you're just like, this is actually really not that hard, but it's hard when you try to approach it from a very sophisticated way. And so some of the clients I actually can, am able to help the most and most of my coaching business are people that are actually very intelligent, very successful, very sophisticated business owners from other industries. And they come into this industry and they try to approach our industry the same way they have all these others. And they just are, I mean, they're just incredibly frustrated. They're just like, this doesn't make a lick of sense. 
And then when I explain to them our industry and how it works and how it functions and the beauty that is the laundromat industry, then it once again, it just kind of opens up the whole world. So the point is back to your original question. Yes, I did buy the laundromat on Craigslist. And if there wasn't something like Craigslist, I, I don't know that because people find this hard to believe, but I had not been researching the laundromat industry at all. Like people assume because of my story that like I'd researched the industry and got all this information. No, I was just, I was never passionate about any industry or product. I was passionate about business. I from at kindergarten graduation, they stand you up in line. They ask everybody, all the little kids, what they want to be when they grow up. I was six years old. They asked me what I want to be when I grow up. And I said, I want to be a business owner. And I had no idea. That was all I knew. I mean, I didn't know what business I wanted to be in. I've just always been fascinated by what I call pure capitalism, meaning if you serve people, serve people well and solve a problem in your community, you'll be financially rewarded. That that has always, since the day I was born, fascinated me as a means to an end, a way to make a living and do what I believe I'm here on earth to do, which is serve other people. So um, And so the, Craigslist was just the portal. That's it. So this, this Craigslist ad must have been really well written to pique your curiosity and uh, go check this out. What like... <laughs> And I'm thinking back to that time, and and I have a vision in my mind of of what the laundromat looked like. And uh, spoiler alert, it's, it's not great. Uh, the image is not not what uh, laundromats look like today. So you're interested enough to go look at this thing. Why in the heck, all of a sudden, does Dave Mans, who wants to be a business owner, decide? Well, laundromat business it is. Well, to back up from 2009 to 2005. Um, was when I decided to get, I was an adult, obviously, and yep. I had my daughter. I decided to get serious about business ownership. I had always wanted to own my own business. I'd read a million and one books. You know, podcasts weren't really a thing back then, but any magazine article I could read, newspaper, anything about business, I would read. And I just decided to get serious about it. And I had a career and I decided that I was, I was done. Like I had been there for probably at that point, 12 years. Um, and I was kind of fed up and burned out. I'd kind of reached my ceiling. I wasn't going to go into management because I didn't have a degree. And I was just like, you know what? I, I looked at myself in the mirror one day. I said, you're a sellout. You know, you've sold out your life for this nine to five climbing telephone poles to make a living. You always want to own your own business. And I just looked at myself at the time I was in my late twenties and I was like, you know what? Like my life ain't over. In fact, it's just getting started. And so I decided to do something about it. And one of the things people don't know about me is at that point, I was literally bankrupt. Like in, I think it was 2003, I was, I filed bankruptcy, went wow. through a rough, rough divorce, was bankrupt, lost everything. Um, a couple of years later, met my current wife, Carla, uh, best thing ever happened to me in life. And I decided to learn from my mistakes and change my ways and do things differently. And that was chase the best version of Dave Men's. And that 2005 day led me to a point where I said, you know what? I sat down with my wife and I said, you know, I told you when we were dating, I always went to my own business. She said, yeah, you did. I said, well, I was serious about it. She said, yeah, I know. And I was like, but we're not, we're not ready. I mean, we don't have any money. Right. And so she and I sat down and she said, well, you know, I mean, my career's kind of going and she already had her master's degree and stuff. She said, you know, I mean, we just need to live below our means and save up money and every year have a little bit more money saved up for quote unquote a business. And long story short is we saved for five years to to build up the $30,000 in cash to buy our first business the whole time, never having any idea what business it would be, never even considering laundromats for a second. 
And during that whole five-year period of time, I would research obsessively any business I could find. I mean, it wore Carla out. I mean, she was just exhausted. The, you name it. I was going to own a buy here, pay here car lot. And I was going to own a, I mean, I could go on a vending business and all these different things. But what happened is I was always, what I was searching for and what I was finding was always out of my league. We never, we never had enough money to financially made it happen or the industry would throw up red flags. And I would say, oh, this isn't the right industry for me. And basically in 2009, when I found found this laundromat on Craigslist, those two things intersected because we had about $30,000 in cash. We had completely repaired our credit. We had bought our own house. We were very financially secure. We had no debt at all, except for a very modest mortgage payment. And that was it. Both of our careers were kind of at their peak as far as corporate America goes. And I just stumbled upon this local laundromat for sale, happened to be about two and a half miles from my house. It was a complete and utter dump. (laughs) Um, and it was just right up the road. It was in Amelia, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cincinnati. And, uh, I was at home when I stumbled upon this ad on Craigslist and I just went, I know where that is. And I just hopped in my car, drove up there and called, I walked in and I was like, huh. And I just looked around and it was, I mean, it was a mess, but I, once I grew up, I got, I grew up in a pretty, pretty rough neighborhood. So that didn't really intimidate or bother me. I just saw the vision of what I thought I could turn it into. And I called the owner from the ad right there from the middle of the store. And uh, I talk about this story in my book. And he he basically was just very nonchalant. He didn't care about the business. He was a nice guy, mm-hmm. but he didn't care about the business. And at, at his peak, he had owned 22 laundromats in the greater Cincinnati, northern Kentucky area. Um, and he had made millions of dollars, but he had no idea what he was doing. And he had didn't care. He just, he just was the stereotypical four white walls and a bunch of machines. 80% of them didn't work, didn't care about anybody except for just literally showing up, collecting his money. And and I just, you know, as I got to know him, did a little bit of due diligence, I was like, you know, the business he was trying to sell for $85,000 and the, well, a little bit more than that, but we ended up paying $85,000 for it. And uh, I remember telling Carla, my wife at closing, and once again, nicest guy in the world, I told her, I said, if that guy can make money treating people like this in this industry... God knows what I can do with this business. And I never dreamed in a million years it would turn into what it has, but that was all I needed. I didn't need any more confidence than that was that guy. You knew, you knew I I, I can do at least three notches above this guy and it's going to (laughs) work. Yep. Cause part of that grit that I told you about is I have this like tenacity about me. Like I don't do anything halfway. I I'm either insanely obsessive about it or I don't do it at all. Like that's just always been my nature and people don't understand that about me, but it's just who I am. You know, luckily it didn't lead me to gambling or drug addiction or right. whatever. Yep. Uh, Cause I absolutely have that addictive personality, <laughs> but I've been able to channel it for good. Uh, so yeah, that's the story of how I got, got my first store. Start to finish. What did that look like? You go, you call a guy from the store and you think I'm interested in this thing from that point to closing. How long of a span and what did that span look like? Yeah, it was insanely exciting, very nerve wracking and and brutally stressful because one, my wife did not want me to do this. She, she is, she understands who she married enough to not tell me not to, because that doesn't work with me. And she knows (laughs) that she also knew that I was very passionate about this. So I had that like 
dichotomy going on of, you know, she's playing supportive wife, but didn't really want to play supportive wife. <laughs> like she was terrified basically, which is understandable. She's very conservative. Right. Um, so there was that aspect. And then there was the aspect of, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm confident I can figure it out. And so I couldn't like, it, I call it the Tom Brady syndrome. Like I've always believed that I don't really have any particular gift strengths um, that make me, you know, I'm not not naturally good at whatever this and that, but I will outwork you. I'll outwork you six ways to Sunday. And and I just I just thought I gotta work harder. Like I gotta I gotta do more. I gotta stay up later. I gotta sleep less. I have to this. I have to figure out if this is the right opportunity. Once I figured out it was the right opportunity, then the financing, oh my gosh, I talk about it in my book. I applied to I, I keep in mind I was I was in my early thirties. Uh we had good credit at that point and no debt. Uh we could support the note on our own. There was a it was gonna be about a fifteen hundred dollar a month note for the acquisition of the business. And I went to over twenty financial institutions and some of them literally laughed me out of there. Literally. I mean, were very disrespectful to me. And most of them just, you know, respectfully said, yeah, this isn't, we're going to have to decline. We can't, we can't give you a loan to buy this business. And it was all predicated on two things. One of them, I had never owned a business before. I didn't have a college degree, so I wasn't quote unquote classically trained in business. And the business I was buying was an established business, but it was losing money. Like, and I knew that. I mean, I was aware of it. It wasn't a secret. He didn't pull anything over on me. I was paying $85,000 for the opportunity. And basically, the secret sauce was one, my grit and my tenacity of willing, of not willing to, but demanding of myself that I just figure this out. And a big part of that was I knew I had to find someone that could help me figure out what I had with equipment. I knew it wasn't the be all end all, but the equipment, I had to figure that out because I'm not a, not a real mechanical guy. I knew there was much more to business than just equipment, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people miss in our industry. Yep. So, but I knew, I knew I could figure all that out. I probably knew, already knew a lot of it because of all my reading and, and uh, researching and things like that. So what happened is I found a local equipment distributor, HM company here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I met with all the other equipment distributors too, by the way. And they stood out to me for one reason. Uh, the owner, uh, one of, it was two brothers that own it, the Millman family. And one of them, Steve Millman, he ran the uh, the vended side of the, the distributorship. And I, I met with him, had a meeting with him, and he had and still has to this day a very similar uh, approach to business as me. His dad started their distributorship, Sid Millman, back in the 1950s. He was one of the first equipment distributors in the country, I believe back before it was really even a real business, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. And uh, his dad always taught him and his brother that if you just take care of our customers and help them be successful in their businesses, everything else take care of itself. Like we will by default make money. And he, a little bit different flavor, but he believed that to his core because his dad was his idol and kind of his mentor. That's what had helped his dad. That approach had helped his dad be successful in business. His dad never focused on making money. In fact, his dad shunned money, and he told Steve, money's just a way of keeping score. Why do, why do people idolize money? The more money you have, in theory, what should be what that should mean is that's more people you've served. That's more people you've helped. Mm-hmm. But he was like, you know, people in baseball, they don't, they don't idolize the score. They just enjoy playing the game. And so these were some kind of analogies that I've never, unfortunately, never got to meet his dad. He passed away right about the time we met. 
but this is who Steve was and still is. So that he's one of my best friends now. And so when I met him with my background and mentality and my chip on my shoulder, it was a perfect timing because he had been in the industry over 20 years at that point as an adult working in the business. And he had become, full, full disclosure, he had become a little jaded. And he told me that. And he said, sitting down with you and having a four-hour meeting. Wow. Yes, a four-hour meeting because I wouldn't let him go. <laughs> after hours, <laughs> after he locked up the stores. <laughs> yep. He, he told me when I left that day, he said, you have brought an energy back to me and my love for this business that I haven't felt in a long time. And this was the first night we met. But it was, I mean, I was Dave being Dave. Like, I, I, I there's no qualms about me. Like, this is who I am. I'll tell Try you, it. like Try it or it. don't like it. And the, my point is that those two things intersected and he became not only one of my best friends, but an amazing mentor to me. And he didn't have a ton of experience when it came to, you know, actually operating laundromats. So, I mean, he, he didn't help me guide me, you know, as far as like operations per se, but of course he knew the whole world of financing and equipment distributorship and uh, store layout and equipment mix. And of course, repairs and maintenance and what to purchase and, you know, all, all, all the, the mechanical side of the business, let's call it that. And he taught me all of that from somebody who had grown up in the business. I mean, he had more knowledge and experience of that aspect of the business than probably very few people in the country, if I'm honest. And he shared it with me openly because he just saw a young kid that was scrappy and was going to do anything he could to make this business profitable. And I mean, I put my money where my mouth is. I put everything I owned on the line. <laughs> when the, You know, a lot of times when you apply for a business loan, people are shocked that they ask for a Personal guarantee. Sorry. Okay. When yep. they ask for a personal guarantee, a lot of people are taken aback by that. And I had never heard of it. Once again, I didn't know much about business. I was like, sure, fine, whatever. You can have everything. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't – and my wife's like, whoa, hold, what? You put our house? Are you kidding me? Like that's where we live. We have a baby, you know? I was like, nope, doesn't matter. Yeah, fine, whatever. Whatever you need. But part of it was I'd been declined. You asked the story, sorry. You asked the story of, of getting that first store and closing on it. It took about four months. Okay. And ab about three of it, now there was other things happening, but about three of those months were applying to lenders and getting denied and arguing with them and going back and debating and trying to get them to reconsider. And can I talk to your underwriter? And I mean, I would, I just wouldn't give up. They just literally had to kick me out. And uh, so when I found a lender that was willing to give me the loan, with it was with SBA backing was how we finally got it done. It was a local credit union. When they finally got that done, I didn't care what the terms were. I didn't care what the interest rate was. They could have everything I owned. Here's my car keys. I'll sleep on the street. I just want that business. <laughs> At any point during this process, did, did your wife weigh in and go, you know what? Maybe yeah. this isn't the one. Maybe this... Maybe we should pass. Maybe something's going to be a better fit. We're going to get it financed easier. Let, let's move on. She did and she didn't. I mean, she she's a very polished woman. She's very well-spoken, you know, all the things that I'm not. And she knew who she married. Like, I think a lot of times us humans, we meet people that maybe aren't, you know, let's call it in marriage. We meet people that maybe aren't exactly what we would be our ideal husband or wife. And so we, you know, well, they have all the, you know, deal breakers, quote unquote, um, they have all those and we'll work on the other stuff, like, which is kind of code for like, I'm going to try to change my husband. Right. Yep. yep. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't work that way. She's just like, I, you, you are good enough or you're not. And so she's always accepted me for who I am. Um, 
you know, she always, she loves the fact that I'm always trying to challenge myself to be better. I'm not content just with the excuse of, well, this is who I am. I want to always try to be a better version of myself every day. But the point is that she knew who she married and she wasn't going to try to change me. So this was happening regardless. She, she could see that train coming down the track. Yeah. Well, and once again, you have to remember like this is, this has actually been going on since 2005 because when, when I knew we didn't have any money, I was still looking for businesses for sale. I just had to look for businesses that I could buy or start or operate with no money. Well, this is back in 2009, you know, nowadays there's a bunch of businesses like that on the internet and stuff, but, but back then certainly wasn't near as common. And so I was pretty limited to what I was able to do. So she had I mean, I, I cannot tell you, it's got to be over a hundred businesses that I found for sale, decided I was going to chase, researched them and anywhere from one to five different red flags would come up on that, that due diligence path that would tell me, Dave, this isn't the one for you in that five-year journey. None of them was ever a laundromat, not one time. And so I had looked at hundreds of businesses and I had wore her out. I had never gotten 50% of the way to actually buying one. In fact, I don't even think I had ever applied for a loan for any of the businesses. I'd always found a, not found, but I'd always come to a roadblock where I was like, yeah, this isn't the right situation for me. And so when I found this and I realized this was, and the further I went down due diligence and the more I met Steve Millman and interacted with him and found the CLA and bought everything in their online store and read it all overnight and missed the next day of work. Everything I brought back, she knew I would do my homework. She had that confidence in me. And everything I researched actually screamed the opposite of a red flag. It screamed, this is it every time. And I I tell people all the time, I started with a, a listing on Craigslist for a business for sale, a laundromat. And I started doing my due diligence immediately, not really knowing what that even meant back then. And I just never stopped. And I ended up at closing. Wow. <laughs> because I did I did my homework. I found right. a great mentor. I found the right resources. I found a trade association. I read the right books. I found the right videos and all these different things. And it just all led me to a place where there was, you know, I joke to this day <clears throat> that this is a true story. She was on maternity leave. We're holding hands in the car. Um, our, our three-week-old baby boy is at home with grandma, and we're driving to the closing at the credit union, and we're holding hands, and it's kind of quiet, and I'm just like geared up six ways to Sunday. And she looks at me, and she says, you're really going to do this, aren't you? <laughs> and I just laughed and kept driving. Never. I talk about it in my book. I never, I never answered her question. <laughs> I just kept driving to the credit union. And the look, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. The look on her face, she was just like, here we go. Yeah. Like, but she says when she's, you know, she does the podcast with me. So she, you know, she pipes it with her, her version of our, our life too. And she says, but the reason she, she was terrified. She'll fully admit that. But the reason that she was confident that we would figure this out together is because she knew that the alternative to this business succeeding was death for me. And, and that's, I'm not, that's not hyperbole. Like, right. Right. I that changes like, things. And, I'm, and I honestly don't even brag about that because that's, once again, kind of a level of unhealthiness that I fully acknowledge. And I'm not saying that people should approach life that way. But where I came from, where I was, who, was, who I was fighting for, which was my young family, the opportunity to bankrupt my family again, there was no chance I was going to fail. 
That's high stakes. It just just wasn't going to. And she says to this day that she didn't know much, but she knew that about me. She knew that I would go in there and make this place, as much as we could financially afford it, as nice as possible. Between my full-time job and running and building our businesses, which eventually ended up being four stores that we have today, I estimate in that four years, I worked anywhere from 90 to 100 hours a week, every week for four years. Um, including when I was on vacation, we did take one family vacation and I basically worked the whole vacation <laughs> Not and shocked. it drove her absolutely crazy. <laughs> I, and I wouldn't recommend it once again, right. like, live and learn, not necessarily here to tell people to do what I did, <laughs> right. uh, just, just here to share it very authentically. There wasn't anything I wasn't going to do to make that business successful. And she shared my heart of servitude. I mean, she agreed if we're going to buy this business, we're going to buy this business to serve the community. And we both believed that if we served the community really well and fixed up the place and made it nice and provided good customer service and all these things, we believed that it would, you know, it would flourish and do well. And a big part of that confidence um, wasn't even so much in me. She knew I would do the work. But when we met Steve Millman, because when I met him, she had a lot more confidence in him because, you know, he was he was an old school uh, equipment distributor. He knew this industry like the back of his hand. And he would tell me, he would tell her, if you do half of what you're talking about doing, you're going to, nobody can compete with you on the east side of Cincinnati. Oh, he would, awesome. he told me that all the time. And so that, that from somebody like him who was credible to her was, was what um, gave her the confidence in, I guess, I think honestly, she had a confidence in me and me and Steve as a team. Yep. You get that bonus. You get that. She's got confidence in you. And now you've got someone in the industry giving you that little bit of breathing room to say, all yeah. right. And, there, and there, let's be honest, there's a, there's a bunch of rock star equipment distributors out there. This is one of the things I do in my coaching and training program is a lot of people think that I try to replace a distributor and I'm, I'm not doing that at all. What I actually do is the foundation of coaching with a new investor, a new owner that wants to get in the industry. The first place we start is let's find you a rock star equipment distributor in your market. Wherever your market is, that's the first thing we got to do. And this is how we go about doing it. And so once again, Dave's very misunderstood. A lot of people think that my coaching and my messaging is I know everything and they don't know anything. And it's actually the polar opposite of that. It's let me teach you how to find the best. Because let's be honest, there's some bad ones out there. There's some okay ones out there. And there's a bunch of rock stars. Let's find you the rock star. And I teach them why that's so important to them. That's the foundation of what I do when my coaching program. And when you approach the business the right way with the right foundation, which is building a team, a lot of people think building a team, me, and I'm sorry, I'm going off on a soapbox. Hope that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. It, it, a lot of people internalize and think of building a team internally, attendants, managers, and that's all very true. But what I tell them is you can't get there until you build an external team. And that would be an accountant, an equipment distributor. Uh, somebody that specializes in financing in the laundromat industry, whether it's equipment financing or acquisition financing and understands the art of that business plan, finding a rock star equipment distributor who can absolutely act as a local mentor to you. They don't replace me as your business coach. They work with me. And when they figure out who I am and what I do and what I tell you and how I encourage you to lean on their expertise, when, when, when equipment distributors figure that out about me, they love me. Because I literally am driving people to them to do business with them. And it's all predicated on the fact that they're just amazing at what they do. They are the HM company of 
wherever, St. Right. Louis, Chicago, it, 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 whatever. Absolutely key element that a lot of people, yep. I think, uh, forget about that it's, well, equipment's yep. equipment and a distributor's no different than a dealer. And, and there is such a significant, you know, it, it's night and day. You're, you know, you have dealers out there who can sell you equipment and kind of walk away. And then you have a distributor who is an expert in that market, understands your needs and how they might differ from someone else's. And then a variety of resources that they bring, you know, whether that's financing or layout design and things like that, that they can assist with. Yeah, Absolutely. It's a huge I, still, I still credit easily 50% of my success to this day to finding Steve Millman and HM Company. And I hear people tell me all the time, well, you're lucky you found somebody like that. And yeah, there was a certain level of luck. I won't deny that. But mm-hmm. I also want to remind people that you have to understand that before I knew how important they were, I still knew I needed them. I right. talked to, before I found HM, I talked to every equipment distributor in the greater that served the greater Cincinnati area. I met with them just like I did, Steve. I sat down and talked to them or at least tried to sit down and talk with them. I invited them to come out to this store that I was thinking about buying. And the only difference is he actually responded in the way of somebody that I wanted to work with. The other ones didn't. Right. And so did I, did I luck out in finding them? Well, I lucked out in them being in Cincinnati because Cincinnati is not a huge market. Mm-hmm. And so if I, you know, if they weren't here and they Sid Millman hadn't built the company he's built and taught his sons to operate the way they did, then yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I couldn't have made them up here. But the fact of the matter is I did understand how important they were. And people don't understand that I went out of my way and spent an insane amount of time trying to figure out what is an equipment distributor and do I need them? And once I did, okay, what's the value? And holy cow, these people are insanely valuable. They're they're vital to my success. Okay, well, if they're vital to my success, I better really invest in that relationship. The fact of the matter is I bought over $3 million in equipment from HM Company since 2010. And I've never once negotiated on price. This is what I need. Tell me what the price is. Now, do I recommend doing that without building a relationship first or getting to know them? No, absolutely not. That would be very reckless, which is what people are suggesting I did. But when you build the relationships first and you get to know the human beings behind the commodity, then you, you actually build a team. And when you do that, I mean, you're just mining for gold at that point. Absolutely. Trust is a valuable commodity and it changes the game immensely. Yep. 